Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. This is Paula, and I have such a wonderful interview for you today with Ram Kumar Kuti. That's Dr. Ram Kumar Kuti, who's one of the visionaries behind Vidagrama. So several weeks ago, I went and did Panchakarma for three weeks at this place called Vidagrama, which I've spent a lot of time at over the last 10 years and really have seen it grow and change and evolve in such a beautiful way. So it is located in rural Tamil Nadu, and he talks a lot in this interview about how the land has changed since they've been there. They've been really focused on creating an eco village where they're growing their own food and herbs and they're supporting a local community. It's really in line with this idea that I've been talking about here about building a values-based cosmic business. So he really embodies that. And so that's why I'm so excited to share this with you. They also were quick to move from ideation into skilled action. And he talks a lot about how, what does that look like and how people can often get stuck in the wisdom collection, but not then take the aligned action that's going to make your vision a reality. So I think you'll really enjoy some of the insights that Dr. Ram Kumar shares here. And if you are, after listening to this, you're like, I'm super interested in this place. I would love to go there please do make sure you send me an email, paula at weaveyourbliss.com. I'm going to be hosting a very limited retreat for eight founders, spirit-led entrepreneurs who are going to join me in November of 2023. Um, so at the end of this year for a Panchakarma and also a planning session for the year to come, I will do a deep dive astrology session with each person and we'll be talking about how to plan out your 2024 for your biggest success. So if that's interesting to you, send me an email, paula at weaveyourbliss.com and title the subject retreat. And we will make sure to get back to you as soon as possible and give you all the information on the retreat and maybe even pop on a call with you if it feels like an aligned next step. So now, without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Ram Kumar Kuti of Vidagrama. Enjoy. Hello, Dr. Ram Kumarji. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. 
Good to see you. <laughs> yes, good to see you in Vaidya Grama after four years, it's five years, five, I think. five years. Yeah. yeah, the pandemic and just settling in my new place. Um, but I'm really glad to be back here. And as people may hear, there's birds, you know, chirping. And <laughs> maybe we can start by just talking about Vaidya Grama as a place, um, as an idea and how it's been realized. Because a lot has changed in these last five years. What I've noticed is there's so much more growing here and there's a lot more bird life. And, you know, it just feels more established than the last time I came. Yes, it, it certainly has grown since in the last five years. We, as a group of Vaidyas who studied or went to Ayurveda school 40 years back together, spent several years together in a very rural forest-like setting, mm. shared, you know, as young students, we shared a lot of ideas and thoughts. And, and then we went our own different ways for the next 10, 12 years. But kept in touch, kept thinking about how we can practice Ayurveda better, we can do better for ourselves, we can do better for others. So these thoughts kept getting discussed over the next 10 to 12 years while each were in their own different spheres of activity. And then it was, I think, around 2004 that we finally decided to take the plunge and said, let's come together and uh, let us... Uh, create a space that we will be happy to live in, we'll be happy, which will take care of our health, which will which will be as close to the text as possible, which will incorporate as many aspects of Ayurveda in its holistic sense. So it is not just about medicines and treatments, but also about eco-living or sustainable living, sustainable construction, sustainable water management, energy management, food growing management, your own food. growing your own food, even to the extent that it, it includes the surrounding community and we, we are able to give women, especially women in the surrounding community, a space to be in, to work, to earn and to be happy and gradually make them also a part of the ownership of Vaidhigrama. So, over a period of time, I am personally hopeful that Vaidhigrama will be primarily a, a social enterprise or a community-owned enterprise. We call uh, them a cooperative. You call mm -hmm. them a cooperative. You call it a cooperative. But similar. But, yeah, but it is uh, in India again. We, we we have to be very careful that that doesn't be, become a cause for its disintegration. Mm -hmm. So when we structure it, we have to do it in such a way that while it is community-owned, the original principles and values and vision continue to be adhered to. And there is a very clear uh, idea of how it will be managed and how it will be taken forward. These are all thoughts that ran in the minds of Four of five, four of us Vaidyas who decided to come together initially, along with two of our patients who became dear friends of us and who were actually uh, helping organization development for many other organizations. So the five, six of us came together as a formal body, supported by many other um, friends and uh, in the Ayurveda field, outside the Ayurveda field, many patients. So I think 
we are blessed that we had this large circle mm. who supported the the creation of vaidigrama there was also many people who said this is not going to work you know you are trying to set up in the middle of nowhere and there was nothing and growing here right nothing growing here this is wasteland no farming for 7 years no water nothing we again we want to be in a space that we will be happy in and if we are happy in that space we can extend that happiness to a lot more people and that healing benefit will reach a lot more people so that's how we started on barren land uh, with two rooms and then gradually built up four eight every time we built a room patients came into those that room so it, you know that's the way we we created the cash flow mm-hmm. to to slowly uh, build the space up luckily all of us are quite patient so uh, <laughs> you know we we never got agitated the things are not happening to you know quickly enough we we did it gradually and it took us almost 5 years for the first phase of 36 patient units to come up along with the plantation along with the forest that we desired mm. again many told us you you need to have landscaped gardens and it should be more aesthetic but our intention was always that we want to be in a forest we just kept planting every patient who came here planted a tree gradually you know the trees and the herbs and the shrubs all started growing the vegetables started growing we also have a goshala mm. where we have native breed cows so the the water started you know we started managing the wastewater recycling it to take care of the cultivation uh, we did a lot of rainwater rainwater harvesting right from day 1 mm-hmm. and so the ground level uh, the groundwater level significantly improved wherein for the last 5 years we have not had to procure water from outside it's amazing so it's it's completely from within the campus we have i think a 20 kilowatt solar plant Mm-hmm. so we provide power to the grid then we we are, we are looking at increasing that uh, supply to the grid so yes i think uh, a lot has been accomplished it's been well a lot more remains to be accomplished but we have made a good beginning i would say <laughs> yeah so before we get into that i'm curious if you can talk a little bit like was there a moment when you were in your studies where you said to yourself the way that ayurveda is going is maybe not the way I want to go. And so like w- was there a clear moment where you were like if I'm going to do this I'm going to do it in a more traditional way. I really wouldn't remember such a moment. But what I would remember is many conversations where many in our community would say it's very difficult to practice ayurveda the way it is told in the text. Patients do not cooperate. Uh, today is a fast life this is not possible that is not possible so so many of our peers as well as elders seemed dejected that we could not practice ayurveda in the best way possible maybe my young mind that said why can why should anything be impossible 
if truly this is what is required, why can't we do it? For example, when we started here, we decided that we will educate patients about how these kashayams or the herbal decoctions are prepared and we will encourage them to carry the herbs with them back home mm-hmm. to prepare their own decoctions, which would, which is the ideal uh, way. Now, most hospitals had moved into a space of ready-made herbal decoctions or herbal tablets or capsules as the take-home medicine, mm. saying this is what is convenient for the patient. So when we decided to introduce these herbs, many told us, including from within our own circles, they said, oh, that's too difficult for patients. They don't have the time to make their own decoctions. We don't. We should not even give them that option. And then we said, wait, let us explain to them and give that as the first option. Those who don't want that can take the bottled medicine and those who say both are not possible, we will certainly offer the third option. But why take away that option mm-hmm. from the patient? And over the years, we have seen that a greater percentage of patients leaving Vaidyagrama are actually carrying the herbs with them. So sometimes we tend to decide that people will not accept you know, what is required. Or, you know, the kanji, the, the famous kanji in Vaidyagrama. In many Ayurveda hospitals today, the kanji has gone. Which is an, a, a, the rice, a rice porridge. Rice porridge. <laughs> so, you will see it only on specific days of the treatment. But otherwise, it is not generally offered. And we said, let us offer it. And let us encourage people to have the kanji or the kichdi. You know, you can have either of the two. But uh, why should we deny people an opportunity to do that which is best for them? Mm -hmm. And if they choose not to do it, then we will look at the next best uh, option. And over the years, many have grown to like this particular rice porridge or kanji. There are many who don't like it, of course. But many have grown to like it and many are preparing it back home, including outside India. We're not talking just about Indians, but all over the world. I think there are many patients who have become very comfortable with this word kanji. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you touched upon this a little bit earlier, just around being patient and holding an intention for something that's evolving and like trusting the process. You know, you, you've talked a lot about collaboration is one thing. You kind of invite collaboration and, and invite it to come together and, and be a shared vision. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you hold on to that intention. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, again, this comes from our college days. We were, we had to chant uh, the, the thousand names of the goddess, the Lalita Sasranama, every day, morning and evening. Of course, while I was not very attentive to it at that point of time, (laughs) some of those names stayed with me from then. And it probably stayed with many of us. So there are these three names called Icha Shakti, Jnana Shakti and Kriya Shakti. Icha Shakti refers to the power of intention. Jnana Shakti refers to the power of wisdom. And Kriya Shakti refers to the power of action. Mm 
as we move through life, these three words continue to grow in us because we recognize that intention without wisdom and action is useless. Wisdom without intention and action is again of no consequence. And action without wisdom and intention is impulsive. It again will will not or may not yield the desired result. It is when the three come together, the intention is sustained sufficiently to build the wisdom around the intention and then to manifest it as a reality that we can actually uh, do a lot of things. We can make things happen. So, so that these three words are something that we keep holding on to. Ichha Shakti, Jnana Shakti, Kriya Shakti. If, and we have always believed that setting that intention is, is very important. If it is set in the right way and if it is taking care of the we. Again, the other very strong value that we have held right from the beginning is that the I is a part of the we. If we set an intention which excludes the we, that might not manifest easily and even if it manifests, it can create heartburn at some point of time. The one that is truly sustainable is where it is inclusive of the we. In fact, it, it is primarily intended for the we where the I is just a part of the we. And so when the we is looked after, in this case, a community, the environment, when everything is looked after, then the I gets taken care of. I think this is interesting too, because from a karmic perspective, you're sharing karmas with all those beings. So you're trying to do right by all of them and include them in the decision making and you're collaborating with a bunch of people, it actually will make things manifest more quickly, I believe, because and, everybody's yes. sharing and, and... And not just people. We are collaborating with the environment. Right. We are collaborating with all the beings. We're taking permission. You know, we every time we build, we take permission of Devi or Mother Earth. We seek forgiveness of the beings who inhabited this land before we came in. We offer them uh, food. So we definitely think it has to be shared. It has to be a collaborative process. And we should minimally disturb the the land or the original inhabitants of the land. Mm. So we cannot be an aggressor. We can only be a... We can only seek permission to dwell on this land and and use it in a in a good way without mutilating the land or the original dwellers of the land. I just want to go back to what you said before about the intention and the wisdom and the action because I find a lot of like my clients, a lot of people I've worked with get get stuck in the wisdom part. There's a fear around moving to the action part. There's good intention. There's a lot of wisdom gathering. Like I work with people who are highly, highly expert at what they do, but they're afraid to move to that next piece. So do you have any advice about that? Yes, I think that I, I have seen a lot of people who in, in a similar vein where they start reading and studying and studying and studying and then uh, they're unable to proceed to the next step because fear sets in. So when we started, there were some who accused us of being impulsive. 
and that we should have taken a little more effort to study and uh, then go about manifesting the intention but then we were very clear that we have we are never going to be perfect at the beginning of the journey perfection is a goal perfection is a destination perfection is not the start of the journey and so we need to start somewhere and along the journey there will be several times we change routes we improve the smoothness of the journey uh, there there are several iterations in a process we said we have to learn we have to keep our eyes and ears open we have to be aware but we will not uh, allow perfection to be in the the quest for perfection to be an obstacle at the beginning of the journey because ultimately i will know perfection only when i have taken the path mm. no matter how much i have learned in theory i have to walk the path i may have learned patanjali yoga sutra very well but unless i actually apply unless i actually practice at least some of what patanjali says i am not going to have the experience of the sutras uh, mm. in its entirety so i think there is a fine i agree that you know many times actions are considered impulsive but if we have put a reasonable effort into study then we need to start acting before we become so obsessive about the study that we forget that we need to act that many times i think it is the tamas that prevents me from moving to the next stage mm. but if i have done my effort so that is why the the teachers will say tapas and gnana gnana is the knowledge or the wisdom and tapas is the effort intense effort mm. if bo- both need to come together if if we want to make something happen yeah i mean what i share with my clients is how much i've experimented that experimentation has been essential and the willingness to fail forward that's what i talk about a lot with my clients is like okay that didn't work so let's try something else let's try something else and being humble enough to be okay with something not working it's such an important part of the process because i wouldn't be where i am in my business if i hadn't done that if i had sat back and kind of waited to, for just the right time or just the right idea to move forward i think that's so important the word you used humility or being humble because the ability to say i don't know the ability to say that i have made a mistake and i need to learn from it the ability to learn from any source all of this is important so in very early on in our vidigrama journey to give you an example we established a solar windmill hybrid because we we did not have even have power connection at that time so we thought we have reasonable wind speed here and we have a lot of sun so we established a hybrid connected it to a battery and we started generating power and it worked beautifully and we were very happy at a, at a very low cost mm-hmm. you know when you hear about the cost of a windmill normally or a solar uh, system this was at a fraction of that cost uh, a fraction is like a nano fraction of the normal cost yeah. you know so we were very happy and it was all working and it worked for one month maybe two months and then the the winds came strongly 
and the entire circuit got cut. However much we tried, and we had some engineers advising us, uh, they kept trying, but each time, you know, there was no cutoff, that when the wind speed increases, there should be some kind of a cutoff, mm -hmm. which was not happening. And you know, I don't know the technicalities, but ultimately that system did not work because the battery was blowing up and all issues. So it hardly worked for two or three months for us. But we kept it standing there till almost the end of the first phase of Vaidhigrama, till we completed the 36 patient units. And people would ask, why is this standing there, including many of our colleagues? And mm -hmm. we would say, I think it's good. It's a good reminder for us that we experimented and we failed. Mm. Uh, it's good to be reminded of our failures also. Many of us don't like to hear about our failures, but those failures are a great way to move forward and to ensure we don't repeat mistakes again. The other thing that we were we were all able to do is say we don't know when we you know when we started building and started making these sun baked blocks. We said we don't know. Mm. We we were able to you know be open to go and learn how to do it. Um, when we wanted to create a forest, we said we don't know. And so we, when, you, when we say we don't know, many times the resources come our way. So mm. a person was involved in natural farming and very passionate about uh, cultivation and looking after the soil and looking after plants. He came our way mm -hmm. and then he just stayed with us. He's a farmer. So he just stayed with us for uh, many weeks and months. And we would ask him, you know, don't we need to give you something? And he'll say, whatever you want. It, mm -hmm. it so we learn. And then he's telling us, you know, very common sensical uh, ideas. It's it's something that we would never uh, think about, you know. So mm -hmm. we, initially when we were planning the forest, we said, okay, we need to have a good watering system. And he said, in which forest do you have a watering system? The skies take care. The soil takes care. You don't have a watering system. You just give the initial watering, which you do it through hose pipes so that there is some kind of connect between man and nature. And then at a particular stage, you stop. It will take care of itself. Yeah. And then, you know, now when the summer season starts, they all, the, you know, everything becomes brown. The leaves are shed and, um, you know, everything becomes brown. And so people would say, Oh, you're not giving enough water. Um, everything is going brown, and uh, then he would, he would, he, he, he's, you know, a farmer, very blunt, very open. He will say, "You are thinking about how brown it is out there. Have you thought about how brown it could be inside you? In <laughs> summer, it is the same thing inside you. You while you hydrate or rehydrate, there is going to be a depletion." And it will become green at the first sign of rains. Mm -hmm. Out there will be green and same way it will be green inside. So don't worry if it is not watered or, you know, you feel it is not getting sufficient water in those one or two months. Mm -hmm. So very simple thoughts, very simple idea because in a forest that's what happens. So we, 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 we've been getting this kind of input from different sources and it helps if we are able to say we don't know and we are ready to learn from our mistakes. So another thing that I know is one thing that 
I love about this place is it it's considered a hospital, a healing community, but that really the spiritual piece is at the center of what you all are doing to kind of help ground all of that. There's chanting in the morning, there's chanting in the evening, there's pujas, you know, there's other things. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that piece? Um, and, and you may maybe give people some sense of how that's been pulled away from Ayurveda and you're kind of bringing that back and why. Yes, I think um, we've, again, this is, this is what happened during our student days and soon after there was a strong need in the Ayurveda community to be completely pure science to the extent that we were willing to let go of any reference to this treatment called Deva Vyapashraya. So in Ayurveda, we look at treatment at three levels for the body, the mind and the consciousness. And while we can have herbs and medicines and panchakarma and counseling and strengthening the mind and all these practices, the texts do talk about the use of mantras, the use of homas or Agnihotra, Agnihotra and uh, fire rituals and um, other such even wearing precious stones or gems. So it does talk about all of this as a part of the healing paradigm. But uh, because this did not seem to fit within the paradigm of conventional scientific ideas, many of us in the Ayurveda community desired that we keep that aside. That is just focus on the logical treatment involving medicines, herbs, panchakarma, etc. And uh, we were always convinced because we all grew up in an environment where as students, I told you, we were chanting the Lalita Sastrama, the thousand names of the goddess morning and evening every day. It was part of our Ayurveda school curriculum that we had to chant, which means it was ingrained into us. Whether we liked it or not, this whole process <laughs> was ingrained into us. And so at some point we realized that this is a very important part of the healing process where the Vaidyas or the doctors and the patients need to have some kind of spiritual uh, grounding, spiritual practices on a daily basis to strengthen the mind as well as to help the karmic factor that you spoke about earlier. So that is why from a, from the very initial days of Vaidhigrama, we said one of the Vaidyas will lead uh, 45 minutes to one hour chanting every day, morning and evening, including the Agniyotra. And patients are welcome to join in. So it is not a compulsory process. It's a voluntary process. What we suggest very strongly is for everybody to have some kind of spiritual practices, no matter what kind of faith they belong to, but it's good to have some kind of spiritual practices to help this healing process. What we do is what we know, which is the chanting of the, you know, thousand names and some other uh, chants in the, in, in, you know, the prayers that we do every day, the Trayambakam and the mm-hmm. other Dhanmantri prayer and the Hanuman Chalisa. This is what we know. So that is what we do here. I think it is certainly found favor with most of our patients, irrespective of what faith we belong to. 
people have been happy to people people have been happy to um, participate in the prayers we do daily prayers we have monthly prayers we have annual prayers um, or pujas and uh, it has become such an integral part of this whole healing journey at vaidyagrama mm. so it's wondering you know we talked a little bit about collaboration maybe you can talk about just like the taking the mindset of collaboration because i think what we've been taught is that we should see people who are doing things similar to us as competitors or even just everybody for themselves. We've been taught that by like the given paradigm. So trying to adopt this way of viewing reality, like that we are all collaborating, whether we like it or not, how do we do that in a way that's holistic, wholesome, whatever word you want to use? So so again, one of the values we we all held with ourselves right from day one is we are not we do not hold any intellectual property rights over anything that is happening in vaidyagrama we are not owners of this whole space or the process we are only temporarily we have only been temporarily assigned the duty of taking it forward and handing it over to the next group of people so we are very clear about that that there's no intellectual property rights initially a lot of people even these days every now and then somebody comes and asks you know are we allowed to take photos here and we say please go ahead because nothing here has been created by us nothing here is original we have just put together ideas and thoughts and principles and practices from multiple spaces into one holistic healing space and uh, so if anybody can use this in any way they want we have created a platform i think it's so important for every one of us to remember that we work best as a team when we start believing that we own information you know the ayurveda itself uh, does not belong to anybody it's it's so clear the texts have said you know that is why they they don't even use the word created anyway they say the rishis saw the knowledge uh, they don't say the rishis created or invented or discovered they saw it, it mm-hmm. it's this this knowledge or this wisdom is always existed and people have tapped into it at different points of time so if we are clear about that then we are not going to see anybody as competitors we are not doing this you know with some kind of competitive mentality what are we trying to do we are trying to be healthy and happy ensure that everybody in the space whether it's staff whether it's patient whether it's animals whether it's plants whether it's the entire community mm. we are all healthy and happy so the moment we we move away from that competitive space then we find we are actually a lot lighter and it's so much easier to share and to learn otherwise sometimes people want to learn without sharing and other times people keep sharing without learning both of this happens but ideally both should happen for every one of us all through our lives uh, and so that is collaboration so collaboration with the community collaboration with 
the the environment collaboration with mother earth collaboration with plants animals <laughs> collaboration with patients with staff i don't think any one person or any one entity can make this happen so we have been fortunate that we have actually been able to create this collaboration both locally and globally i think that that has been a real blessing for vaidigrama beautiful so like some i'm just thinking of summing up our conversation it's like being willing to experiment having a strong intention collaborating understanding it's a we you know these are like really important points humility. to even thinking yeah humility like when you're thinking about how what you do impacts others and how we can actually create something that's going to lift people up and help them i love that so i i was wondering if you had any um like a piece of advice that had been given to you that you've sat with or that you you know has really impacted you in your life the first three people who stayed here before dr svoboda and dr scott came and stayed there were three swami jis from himalayas who stayed here and when they were they were they stayed for 3 4 days and then when they were leaving they were blessing everybody and the blessing that the senior most swami ji gave me is you will not build a home here and i said not build a home all of us vaidyas were planning to build homes here you know the whole idea here is every vaidya will have a home and have uh, the patient staying around the home and here you say don't build a home and so i was i was not very happy about that uh, advice that was given but then as i dwelled on it i realized that was the best piece of advice that that i was given because what the swamiji was intending to say is do your karma and but do not get attached to the result of that karma when it is time move on he he made me clearly see the need to not see this as mine it it belongs to the community vaidigrama belongs to the community and i should not get stuck in this notion of the ego saying this is mine i thought that was the best piece of advice because it actually <laughs> was very liberating after that it took probably two or three or four months but it was very liberating after that and I still remind that Swamiji occasionally. Thanks to you, I, I no longer have a home anywhere. <laughs> But uh, I think that was the best. You know, not getting tied down anywhere. That's what basically he was trying to tell me. Yeah, a, a sort of develop a sort of vairagya, work towards that. It is a work in progress, but at least that was a great starting point for me. Mm. So. you know ayurveda emphasizes morning practice i'm curious if you have any practices that are non-negotiable that you do every morning or most every morning that are um foundational for you in your in your life well i think for me the most important early morning practice is that i wake up between 3 and 4 almost every single day of my life for the last 20 30 years there may be the odd day when i jet lagged yeah jet lagged <laughs> or travel through the night or something like that but just waking up and being at that time of the day has uh, been one of the best things that have happened to me for many years the dinacharya practices 
that is putting the oil in the nose and the doing the kandusha or keeping the oil in the mouth oil in the ears putting the coal in the eyes or putting drops in the eyes and applying oil all over my body for many years this was also an integral part of my daily practice now it is not an integral part of my daily practice i would do it two or three or four times a week maybe even five times a week but it is no longer an integral part but the waking up i think has stayed with me for a very long time as and i think at school itself as children our parents used to wake up early and so all of us the children also used to wake up at 5 5:30 at least as small children and then we went into this ayurveda school where we had to do morning and evening prayers so again we had to wake up at 5 at a stage of of our life when we would have preferred to sleep for a much mm. longer duration but so we we got into that practice of waking up early and then soon after i left college i continued to wake up between 4:35 4 4:30 and these days it's more between 3 and 4 and i i think that is one of the best things that has stayed with me mm. <laughs> um so what are some books that you would recommend to help people better understand the subjects that you are interested in or that have to do with ecological things business anything that comes to mind where ayurveda is concerned i think prakriti by dr subodha is is a great space to begin uh, um of course there are also books by dr wasatlad and um, dr frolly and dr claudia welsh and others but so any of these books are a great space to start the journey with ayurveda i like this book called slow death by rubber duck which which refers to a series of experiments on how the environment is being uh, hugely adversely impacted by a lot of things that we are doing without our knowledge and rubber duck refers to the toy that children play with mm-hmm. it, it is the most popular ta- toy across the world and the ingredient used to make that toy are hugely detrimental to the child's health mm. so so this book details a lot of such small things like a child's nightgown in the united states is coated is coated with brominated fire retardants mm-hmm. to prevent accidental fire but which are highly carcinogenic so it gives us a lot of interesting facts and statistics it's i i i think that that was hugely influential in us trying our best to li- to limit or eliminate the use of chemicals in vaidyagrama almost completely and then there is a book called natural farming by masanabu fukuoka or the one straw mm-hmm. revolution by yeah. masanabu fukuoka from japan uh, or do nothing farming it's called and again that's a hugely inspirational book because it really helps us to learn how to work with nature and look at very simple elementary cultivation techniques which can be far more productive than than a lot of the you know techniques using fertilizers and pesticides and other such means so these are three books that uh, immediately come to my mind there are obviously many many more books uh, of course i i am not even referring to the 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 books 
from the, the the classical texts in Sanskrit relating to Ayurveda and Vedas and Upanishads and mm-hmm. you know Shankaracharya's works. These are all works that have inspired and taught a lot, but being mostly in Sanskrit uh, with very limited English translations. I, I'm not even talking about them, but probably <laughs> these three books are are amongst three of my favorite books. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now. Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.